So for me, the big difference between this, like, I say there's a difference between transfer of knowledge, which would be like going on YouTube and figuring out how to fix my lawnmower, right? I had to do that a couple of weeks ago. It was super simple. I put in my model number, how to change the blade, and I had my answer within three minutes. That's transfer of knowledge. But transfer of wisdom in terms of trying to solve bigger life problems, and frankly, like how are we even going to stay on this planet in the next 50 years? that transfer of wisdom we've really lost touch with because of the accessibility to technology. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a podcast from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul and voice of the most crucial conversations being held today about business and people and technologies and the convergence. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine your tomorrow and explore that convergence. If you're watching live, you'll notice that my co-host Jason uh, is missing from today's show. And unfortunately, he's attending a funeral and is unable to join us. And on behalf of Googleization Nation and all of our geek skeezers and Googleization listeners, I'd like to send uh, our condolences to the Cochran family. Uh, he will be back next week. On today's episode, you're going to hear from a another Geek Skeezers and Googleization alumni. We've been on the we've been doing these long enough now that we have some alumni. Um, we're going to hear from Alyssa Garn, uh, and I'm so pleased that she's taken some time out this week uh, to be with us because she's got a super busy week. Uh, she has just launched a new venture and a new platform called Level Next. Uh, we're going to be talking about the power of mentorship. And she's got some great stories. Can't wait to, to talk about um, one of those in particular. And with the, all the events going on around us in our lives and really everyone on this planet uh, probably needs a good mentor these days. So before we get, I, I bring Alyssa on, let me talk about some eye-popping stats, probably an understatement, from the Gallup State of Workplace 2022. To new, the new research, over 100,000 businesses were surveyed, and their report was just released yesterday, and I had the, the uh, pleasure of being part uh, or, or joining in on, their, on, the, on the webcast uh, that launched that. So what it told us is stress among the world's workers reached a new all-time high in 2021. That's probably no big surprise. We've been hearing a lot about that. 49% said that they were stressed above normal on the on the day before they took the survey so nearly half said they were over or stressed beyond normal on the day before they took the survey considering where we are with eight plus uh, percent inflation uh five dollars plus gas prices the stock market in free fall political divide layoffs that we haven't seen in many years and, and some from some iconic tech companies. It's probably no, it, it would just boggle my mind what that might be today. 
So, but it's not just stress that we need that they reported on. 40% of the workers at that time expressed an increase in worry. 33% said they were angry and 21% said they were sad, which goes hand in hand with some of the stats we're seeing about well-being and mental health uh, and mental illness uh, and depression within the workplace. Now, some of those, some employers might still be considering stress and anger and sadness as a worker's problem. And if we throw more money at them, we can make them happy, at least we can get them to stay. But employees show up as a whole person. They don't just show up as an employee. They show up as a human being. And if employers don't start treating employees and workers as a whole, then engagement falls. That's been proven. Gallup's been tracking that for 40 years. Marcus Buckingham. Uh, it's, it's no big surprise. And, and lower engagement impacts performance, retention, safety, profitability. And Gallup now estimates that this low engagement is impacting, is, is draining the global economy of $7.8 trillion. That's a trillion with a T. So it's a long way, long kind of winded way around me telling you um, why I'm super excited to hear from Alyssa today, uh, what she has to say, because she's putting her money, her time, or her resources where her mouth is. She left a career in HR to launch a new tech business. The new tech business is Level Next. Uh, it's a membership marketplace focused on employees in the tech world. So we're going to hear all about that, combining uh, what we talk about. We converge business people and technology. So that's perfect. It just launched this week. And uh, without further ado, um, here's Alyssa. Hi, hi, Red. It's good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Hey, welcome back and congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Lots of things change. We talk about VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So, so last time you're talking about how my role in HR, and now you're talking about being a, a, a tech entrepreneur. Well, yeah, adapt or die, right? So we hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely. Hey, before we dive into that, and again, uh, just with you heard my stats a little, my. Uh, you know, leveling up on on where we are with mentoring and the opportunities for companies. I, I'm sure you get it. I mean, companies are always constantly asking, employees are asking, what can we do to keep people? Well, mentoring is certainly that opportunity for many reasons. We'll dive into that. But you had, I, I think, a, a wonderful example of what mentoring looks like uh, and also why it's needed. And plus, it's just a good, feel-good story. Uh, you shared on LinkedIn just this morning about your son. So I'm going to let you kind of do the intro and take it from there about what he's doing and, 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 you know, how you're helping, but it's obviously it's never too young to, to help people uh, experience their genius and their curiosity. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh it's easy when you are an entrepreneur to recognize that in others. And as I'm raising my son, who's 10 now uh, from, from since about the time he was five or six, He's always been very excited and inclined to figure out how he can make money. It started with allowance and then it kind of evolved into just all of these different ideas. Uh, when he was when he was six, he came home from school and asked me if he could, like he just rolled out this whole business plan. It's like he came and sat on the bed right from school, 
beaming, smiling, and he has this whole plan of he's going to make bracelets and he's going to sell them to all of his friends and he's going to make all of this money. And hearing about this business plan through the eyes of a six-year-old, you know, he's not thinking of things like supply chain and P&L statements, but he's just doing it with the passion and the soul behind the product and being able to go out and make his own money. Um, what was really cool about that, I mean, this was four years ago, but I shared that story on LinkedIn uh, because it just it melted my heart as a mom, but also as a fellow entrepreneur of like, oh my gosh, my son's going to be this amazing entrepreneur one day. It's already happening. Um, and uh, in sharing that, I actually had crazy support from my network. And this one woman uh, specifically, she wrote, she wrote my son a check and sent it in the mail and said that she was his first investor and that he was to use that money to you know, go out and start his bracelet business or whatever. Um, so we opened up a savings account and, and the years have passed since then, but all of these other ideas have continued to come out for him of um, different businesses that he wants to start or ideas that he has. And my opportunity as a parent, but also as one of his mentors, is to help him understand the landscape of business. So I take myself back to his age. And I remember, you know, I remember making suckers and selling them to my friends in the fourth grade, bringing in my old toys and selling them out of my locker. I mean, that was 100% profit because my parents were paying for all the crap. I was just, I was just hawking the stuff over at school. So Christmas was a really, really big time for me to make some extra money. But I see him following in those footsteps, you know, without really a lot of input from me or even his dad. So that natural um, intuition and excitement about those things has been really fun. And what I've loved is there's companies, there are there are more people now that are seeing this opportunity to really instill those necessary skill sets of what is business? How do you teach that? Because in most middle schools, high schools, junior highs, they don't really have programs that teach about business or that help you understand what it's like to go out and start a business or even honestly be an employee. So um, there's a great friend of mine that just launched a company called Build and Beta. And I'm going to give him an, an amazing shout out, Spencer Arnston, because he talked to me about this idea that he had three months ago of, you know, would you, do you have any kids? Do you think that they would be interested in this this build workshop that we want to do where we teach them, you know, hard skills of what to do with their hands and make things and then sell it. You know, they get a little online shop to go along with it. I was like, you don't even have to tell me anymore. Yes, yes, yes. My son is 100% interested in this and I can't wait to have him get started. When's the first camp? Um, and of course, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I made the mistake, but I definitely told my son about it and he has not stopped asking me since. I mean, every day it's like, do you have a date yet? When's that going to be? Can I make my bracelets yet? Um, so I love the fact that there's just more interest in helping at a very young age plant seeds of how to be self-sustaining, how to grow things, how to get that edge when we go out and start in business, whether that's as an employee or going to college or just launching into your first venture, you know, right out of the gates. So as an example of just when people are talking about, well, what's the difference? Be and we can get into this a little bit. What's the difference between mentoring and coaching and what opportunities and when do you start and, and you know, how old do you need to be or, or how old, you know, when, when don't you need a mentor? I mean, with all those questions is, I think you answered part of it is obviously you can start as young as six years old uh, or before that to the fact that here's someone who had a mind uh, of being able to use that curiosity, use that we talk about, you know, 
reimagining reimagining the future, but reimagining what his future is all the time, uh, not inhibiting it, not telling him he's too young, you know, to be able to do something like that, uh, to be able to seize that. So you you nurtured it, you know, up to that point, and then beyond. It's the fact that hey, I want to come to you and share my business plan at six years old. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure I had that, and what a I, I guess what a big difference from you know selling lemonade. Well, yeah, because you have to have a food handler's permit for that now. So, <laughs> yeah, some of it's bizarre. We've we've complicated the world, us baby boomers. So I apologize to the world for, <laughs> for some some of the things that we've done. Uh, let's talk. I mean, this is pretty exciting. So you made this transition. Obviously, there's somewhere you got that entrepreneurial blood in you. I I, I had a laugh. I mean, you you've got that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, we I grew up in a in a small business retail environment. But our, my cousins always laugh about the, the Matlow gene and because almost everybody is in some form of marketing. And even if we're not in marketing, we do marketing. And when we meet, it's like, you know, what are you doing to promote your business? And, and uh, that, that's been the whole trend. And, and literally out of 15, almost 15 first cousins on, on one side, almost, uh, two, I would say, three quarters are in some form of marketing in one sense or another. So it was, a, it was that bloodline that was in there. And people said, how did, you make the, how did you make the shift from dentistry, which I haven't done in 27 years. People still think I know how to do that. But, uh, but in 27 years, and I was like, hey, I had a business that just happened to be there, but I had this, I loved creating content. I loved marketing. I loved customer service. I liked team building. I liked every aspect of dentistry except dentistry. Um, so it was, well, so that's yeah, so it was natural for me to move and, and similar. And so, you know, one of the questions is how did you make this move from HR to, and I think I'll probably know the answer to this, but you made a, a move from HR to starting a tech company. Uh, and now, especially in today's environment, uh, you know, it's, that's quite challenging. I mean, a lot of risks. Uh, which is not known for HR. People in HR usually take no risk. We're usually trying to push, you know, push a, a snowball uphill uh, when you're trying to change HR, and then you're living that opposite life. So, talk a little bit about that. What what was the motivation for making that shift? Uh, uh, and not necessarily even tech in HR, but focusing on technology. To be honest, it was it was it's been difficult. It was a really really big decision, um, but I like to joke that when I do change, I do change on a very large scale. So I happen to be going through a divorce and selling a home and buying a home and buying a rental property and completely uprooting my life and figuring out how to navigate single motherhood and. Uh, I decided that was a really great time. I, I think you just described like 90% of the elements on the homes and race scale, which people know when you talk about it. What are the biggest life stresses <laughs> you have in life? And and I think you just checked off like half the boxes. Well, yeah, I might as well get them all out of the way at once instead of, you know, just staggering them out. Um, but truly, I, I knew I knew for the last few years that being an HR practitioner, even before pandemic, um, it was, it's getting harder. It's getting much more difficult to be able to go into organizations and have the kind of impact that you want with the budget dollars and the buy-in from the executive team. And for me, I feel like I'm naturally a great promoter. If I had to ever take any personality test or behavior assessment, it tells me that I'm good at a few things, one of which is getting other people excited about my ideas. So I don't feel like I've had a huge struggle in getting buy-in necessarily from my leaders or organizations that I've worked in, but I'm tired. Like I just got really exhausted of trying to solve these 
big problems on such a small scale of one organization. For me, my, most of my background is small to mid-sized businesses. And I found this opportunity of, man, if I, if I have this ability to go out and promote and get other people to, to at least pay attention to some of these things like human experience and better work environments, you know, leading into better productivity and profitability for organizations, maybe that's a better investment of my time is to figure out how to grand scale change and influence the HR profession rather than work within the profession and just try to, to make that change for one organization. Not good or bad. You know, I don't think that's right or wrong. Just for me, I felt that I had more to add in a different path. I will tell you though, um, man, have my eyes been opened. I will, <laughs> HR people that are listening, I'm just going to tell you right now, um, please have a little bit of empathy for your CEO. It is a sh job most days. I am now feeling that pain of budgets and holy sh we're going to make payroll this week. And where is our next, you know, like, all of these supply chain challenges that come along and big decisions that you have to make that impact hundreds of people's lives and the customer journey. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm not saying I didn't have empathy for executives before, but now that I'm living this founder life, um, I, I think I understand a bit more <laughs> why, why some of my big priorities as an HR professional seemed a little bit smaller scale to the CEOs that I worked with. Um, so it's been very eye-opening, but the reason that I wanted to pivot into this is I knew I wanted to start something. I've always wanted to, to own my own business and go out and, you know, take my hand at, at building something for myself. But choosing the, the channel of mentorship is really personal for me. It's personal on a scale of my own career path, of how I've gotten to where I am. It's, it's primarily because I've had people that have invested in me. Um, either at my behest, going out and asking them to, or them just seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself. So I've had this combination of mentors who oftentimes have turned into sponsors to help promote me and give me opportunities that I would have never had or even considered previously. And it's helped me get to the point that I am and built the confidence that I have now. So being able to provide more of those opportunities for others um, in an environment that makes it as simple as possible to make those connections with the right people, to solve the right problems at the right time, um, was just natural. So figuring out how to make a business to make money around that has been the bigger challenge, but I already knew that's what I wanted to do. So let's talk about level next. What I mean, that's that's the baby. That's, that's your baby. Uh, it's yes, it's roaring right into those terrible twos at the moment. <laughs> uh, tell us about what it is, and uh, you know, I, again, why you chose because I believe, right, at least for right now, although it, I don't know if it's limited, you'll tell us uh, that it's really focused on technology, the, te the tech space. I, I think it's important to note that when it, when when I use the term technology, I'm not necessarily talking about software developers and, you know, like tech, I think, has become so synonymous with companies that do development. But tech is really just people that work in front of computers. You know, like if your primary job, I think we used to call it white collar, blue collar, and that's not really kosher anymore. So when I say that it's for the tech industry, it does tend to work best for people that interact with and do most of their, their career work in front of or in an office environment within, within you know, a computer space. So the platform itself is essentially a mentor matching marketplace. So if you were interested in finding a mentor, you would come on the platform, fill out a quick application, let us know what it is you're trying to accomplish, what are some of your career goals. And if you don't have those defined, 
just give us an idea of why are you interested in mentorship? And what we do is we take that information and then we pair it with the mentors that we've previously curated. Um, typically, our mentors go through a pretty heavy vetting process. Uh, we go after the rock stars of profession and industry um, because we know that those are the people that we want to learn from, right? So um, we're not a nonprofit. It, it does cost money. There's got to be skin in the game. You have to pay for these mentor sessions, but you're getting to learn from some of the best of the best individuals, depending upon what it is you're trying to achieve. So we facilitate those introductions. We take care of all the pain in the ass parts of it, of calendar management, and payment processing. We want to make it as simple as possible to get connected with that person and then be able to spend that time doing what matters most. So for me, the big difference between this, like, I say there's a difference between transfer of knowledge, which would be like going on YouTube and figuring out how to fix my lawnmower, right? I had to do that a couple of weeks ago. It was super simple. I put in my model number, how to change the blade, and I had my answer within three minutes. That's transfer of knowledge. But transfer of wisdom in terms of trying to solve bigger life problems, and frankly, like how are we even going to stay on this planet in the next 50 years? that transfer of wisdom we've really lost touch with because of the accessibility to technology and information in a virtual environment. So the idea behind mentorship in this capacity is you get to personalize and contextualize what it is you're trying to solve. So maybe for one individual, it could be very specific career development. I am a coder. I want somebody to check my code and go through it with me and give me feedback or recommendations. Maybe I am trying to break into a brand new sector and pivot in my career because I'm recognizing that, you know, artificial intelligence or something is making my job more obsolete. And so I'm trying to stay relevant in another industry. Whatever it is that people are trying to accomplish, having somebody that is there, not necessarily to hold your hand, because I'm a big believer in independence and you need to do it for yourself in order to learn, but having somebody there to champion you, that you can lean on, that you can you know, ask questions or validate where you, you know, your hunches or your intuition or just point you in the direction of the resources you need in order to be able to get there. That to me is how we solve these big problems, that transfer of wisdom of, you know, it's not just search for a solution to a black and white question. You've got to be able to live in that gray area. And the best way to do that is with these interpersonal relationships. I, I, I love I love that the transfer of wisdom as opposed to the transfer of knowledge. Uh, I, that's brilliant. And I'll I'll probably be using that again. And I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I attribute it back. Feel free. It's not trademarked by any means. I'll, so you but can I will attribute it. it back to you. Uh, so let's let's you know we've got listeners probably of all different ilks um some may, may hopefully employers are saying hey this sounds like a good thing that we should be offering to people and how can we get involved how we can we can encourage it a lot of companies talk about that they have a culture of mentoring but you know they really don't um but then there's the other side of how do you encourage people to do that because i'm sure there's people in well you know I mean, who would I go to? Who would I talk to? Um, they won't understand my problems. They're not in the, the industry. Uh, or, you know, they they went to school or they entered this industry 20 years ago. It's different now. So everybody has excuses. How do you, How what recommendation would you have to someone who is, and we're all struggling, even, even the people who are mentors are struggling now is how do we go forward? How do we solve some of these problems? Uh, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody of, of not, not why they should do it, but how they, you know, how do they seek out a mentor and, and um, you know, what's the first step? 
Well, I think a lot of people don't because as a culture, at least in the U.S., I can't speak globally, but at least in the U.S. where I live in Utah, we have this weird thing of we don't want to put anybody out. We don't want to burden others. We just kind of want to like be independent and run our own lives and not offend anyone else. And so we get really nice. And I think with mentorship, it becomes difficult to go out and ask somebody for something because you don't want to be perceived as, you know, greedy or that you're taking something from them. Um, Even asking for help or favors can also be culturally difficult, Um, especially, oh my gosh, men. Like women, women have sort of this expectation to relate to each other and ask questions and collaborate. And, you know, for us, it's still difficult to ask for favors, of course. But I think that men also ego-wise have this expectation within their gender primarily that they should have all of the answers and that they should know what they're doing and that asking for help is could be weakness or you know might be perceived as something like a lesser than um and that's it's totally not true i think the people that ask for help and i feel the same way about expressing emotion in a controlled way to me that's a strength if you can recognize and understand the vulnerability associated with it and, and channel it in a way through emotional intelligence, I think that is a huge strength. So when it comes to this first step of asking for a mentor, I think you need to look at a few things. For example, the, who, who is it you're trying to emulate? Looking at people that you admire and like is not enough to go ask for mentorship. Um, What I've found is I've actually had a lot of silent mentors over my career, people that I have looked at and watched their behavior and how they act and things that they do, sometimes even public figure mentors that I'll never meet in real person. They would never know who I am. Uh, But I look at and take pieces of, oh, I like that about them, or I like the way they phrase that, or I like the way they handle themselves, and be able to take some of those as my own silent coaching sessions or mentor um, opportunities. But going through and asking for one, as I mentioned, you know, earlier, for me, I've had a lot of mentors that have found me. Uh, My first experience with mentorship was my very first boss. Well, my first professional boss anyway, that my first job in HR, seasonal job, did not want to work in HR. I was just there for the ski pass. (laughs) And the end of the season, he asked me to stay on. And I said no three times. And finally, in the exit interview, through mentorship, he gave me very specific feedback on why he felt I had a great career in HR and paying that much attention to me and giving giving me feedback that was not just, I, you know, I think you'd be great. No, no, no. He was specific. It's like you have these skills that lend to this profession. In that moment, I would have walked on coals for that guy. Like, you tell me what to do. I will do it. Like, you, you have my back. I am here for it. So I think that mentorship sometimes comes to you, but that first step of how you identify or how you go after, part of it has to come from the confidence of feeling like you're worth it. Uh, because I think that we get in our own ways and we have imposter syndrome and we don't we don't want to be rejected. And so we avoid those you know, potential discomfort situations. Um, but the worst that's going to happen is they say no. I mean, they might not even respond. But Rejection, I think, is different when you're asking for mentorship because usually people are intrinsically wired to help 
each other. Uh, very rarely are you going to have somebody that responds in a way that is offensive. You know, like I would never mentor you. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm just, please, like get away from me. That's not going to happen. What's likely going to happen is they don't respond because they didn't see your message or they intended to but didn't have time. Um, but I think most people will say yes, and that that is the pivotal moment of how that experience is going to go. Because again, most people will say yes. It's very flattering to be asked to be a mentor for someone because all of a sudden you have this opportunity of ego of like, somebody thinks they can learn something from me. Well, I must be really amazing. I'm so important right now. And so you kind of like have this reconciliation in your mind of, I, I, of course, I would love to help you. Who am I? You know, I'm a, I'm a nobody. I, I want to help. A lot of times those mentors that mean well have no idea how to guide and support this person on their journey of what it is they're trying to accomplish. So when somebody is looking for a mentor, an effective mentor, it's not enough to just ask somebody that you admire to mentor you. You really have to look for skill sets or at least come to the table if, if, if that person is underdeveloped with expectations, with parameters, with goals in mind, with very specific asks on what you want that path to look like. Otherwise, you're kind of both setting yourself up for disappointment. And then unfortunately, reputation gets damaged on both sides, which is not a good experience. I, that silent mentor, uh, and again, looking back, you know, I'm an older baby boomer, been you know, around for a couple decades. Uh, and it's it amazing to me. I, I have, as I mentioned earlier, you know, my prior career, I was a dentist. I haven't done it in 27 years, 26 years. Uh, yet I still have connections with employees. In fact, we were just on vacation uh, two weeks ago. seems like an eternity ago, um, but two weeks ago, I'm on the beach and young guy, he was not a young guy anymore. I mean, he was young when I knew him. Uh, he was the husband of one of my employees. She was, she was, he was maybe in his 20, late, mid to late 20s. She was, she started work with me for me when she was 19 and sort of, you know, kept in touch with him on Facebook, but really lost track. I don't think I've seen either of them in 20 some years. And I saw him walking in the beach with his granddaughter. It looked like her. And we reached out and go, hey, Randy. And he goes, yeah, it was Randy. So his, we go back and I talk uh, with his, you know, saw Robin, his wife. There's probably five or six employees that are now in their 50s. They're actually now grandparents uh, that have shared with the influence I had on them. I was their boss. I paid him a check. I treated them with respect. I tried to be, do the right thing. I tried to help them, but it wasn't a formal relationship. But as you said, it's that silent mentor that they had identified me as a mentor and had reached mm -hmm. out. And uh, and, I, and again, there's I, I can go through a lot of people that even colleagues now that that said, well, you know, I'd really love for you to be my mentor. I mean, you are my mentor, but it, you know, I don't know if we can do something more formal. Uh, and it's like, why didn't you ask? Well, you're really, really busy. And they probably honestly get more out of me if it's not a formal relationship. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't fit in your business model, but <laughs> you know, it's a, but you're absolutely true is that silent mentor. Um, again, it's just people, many, I'm sure there's many people like myself that are just trying to do the right thing to guide people, help people make, help people not make the decisions for them, you know, and ask is what would you do? It's like, well, here's what I would do, but I don't know if that's good for you. So here's how I would think about it if I was standing in your shoes, um, you know. Well, 
and I just, just to, to play on that a little bit earlier, you had talked about the difference between mentorship and coaching, but you also have other definitions in there too, of advisors and sponsors. And there's all of these different veins of helping and supporting others. And to me, I do think that mentorship and coaching get intertwined. As a matter of fact, even on LinkedIn, when I was doing some research as we were launching the business, I asked, I think I sent out a poll and asked for some feedback on how do you define the difference between mentorship and coaching? And oh my gosh, the hundreds and hundreds of comments, everybody has an opinion and none of them are the same. So I feel like what, what is it, what I would define, and it's not right or wrong, but at least for me, as I've been building this platform, coaching is when you think of a sports coach, they are typically somebody that is seasoned, that knows the ins and outs, the rules of the game, the cutting edge, sometimes even the bleeding edge of how to get ahead. And essentially they take you and your capabilities and potential and they align a coaching plan for you. They're essentially telling you what to do in order to get to this this goal or achievement that you're trying to, to do. Mentorship on the other hand is more like fan in the stands that also knows that they know the game and they've probably played it themselves, but their capacity is more to cheer you on, to encourage you, to help you align, you know, where you want to go, but they're less likely to tell you what to do. And they're more about like, I see them as career therapists. So when I go to therapy, the best therapy sessions are never when my therapist has anything to say or tell me what to do. It's when he asks insightful questions that help me come to my own conclusions. And I think that mentorship is very much like that, where it's it's kind of like the, the guardrails, so to speak, for you to be able to accomplish your own success, but for me to be here to help guide you along that way. I'm, you know, I'm the Yoda to your Luke Skywalker, so to speak. Um, so I do think that there is a big distinguishment or uh, differentiator there between the two, that people going into these relationships of whether it's a silent mentor or asking somebody for this service, that you need to know what it is you're paying for, what it is you, you expect from that relationship. Because again, that could be another potential of, of disappointment if you expect, like if I hire you, Ira, to come in and work on my resume for me. And your expectation is I'm going to look at your resume, tell you, you know, some formatting changes you can make, give you some keywords, tell you about how ATS systems work and how you can get around that to get some better opportunities for interviews. But I go into that with the expectation that you are physically going to take my Word document and write it for me and then give it back to me for me to use. That's even though we both go into it with the idea that we're helping you're helping me with with my resume we have completely misaligned expectations on what that outcome looks like. So that's ultimately what we're trying to solve with the platform is without having to ask people, do you want a coach? Do you want a mentor? Do you want an advisor? We try to ask more insightful questions of what are you trying to accomplish and what do you expect from paying for these services and then align them accordingly to the correct mentor, which we use that term across all boards, but we recognize that there's different skill sets within so, that. So it sounds like the difference is a coach has a help desk, or, or you call the help desk, and they give you the answer. It's like, go through these steps, and here's how to fix it. Uh, where if you right. went DIY, do it yourself, DIY, you know, basically, you find a mentor. It's, it's gonna be mm -hmm. And either way, by the way, you have to do the work. That coach is not going to run the track for you. 
your mentor is not going to run the track for you. Um, and I think that's another opportunity of disappointment that I've seen too, is people just want the answers. They want, you know, don't you just have a silver bullet that you can give me that's going to get me three steps ahead in my career? No, you still have to do the work, but I'm going to teach you some shortcuts and give you the opportunities and sponsorship to get you there more quickly. As always, this goes amazingly fast. And there's I, I've literally I'm just jotting down a question. Oh, great comment and, and other things. But we're going to take a really quick break. We're going to collect our thoughts here. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to have another few minutes. Uh, but I want to thank everybody for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you're not part of it yet, please go up and subscribe. Uh, it's free. It's easy. And, and you'll get updates about other episodes like this and guests. And uh, Jason and I have a whole long list of things that are that are on the on the table for the second half of this year uh, to make it more valuable. So you can go to googleizationnation.com uh, and sign up and promise we won't badger badger you with emails every day, uh, but it's a, it's a real opportunity. And also to help, help us collect, get your feedback and ideas and collaborate to, to solve some of the problems we have. And we will be right back. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock, and there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us, and that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I'm here with Alyssa Garn. Our new company is Level Next. Uh, we've been talking about the power of mentoring uh, and uh, some great concepts. Um, I also, we just got a, a uh, we, we, we were talking about the silent mentor. I'm not sure how silent I was with Mike, uh, but I just want to show we got a comment up there. Mike, a good friend. Hey, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Mike's been my mentor for over 20 years. Yeah, we met uh, a, a whole funny story, but 2001, a possible business gig that didn't work out, but we became friends and, you know, Mike never asked me, no formal arrangement. Uh, we've done a lot together. We've collaborated, but uh, that's just an example of sometimes how people show up in your life. So I love that term silent mentor. And I think if you do have silent mentors, uh, please recognize them and also let other people know about that. Again, and mentorship doesn't have to be on a formal relationship. So that I think that's one of the big takeaways, Alyssa, uh, that I got from this, uh, although we knew it, uh, you know, I knew it. Uh, it. It's something I don't think a lot of other people you know, think about. Um, you, you, uh, again, reminder, if you're not a member of Googleization Nation, go up, googleizationnation.com. Uh, if you also 
uh, we're, we're on live every week, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, you can also get the replays uh, on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and also we're on all the podcasts. And if you like listening to podcasts, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a review. That helps other people know uh, what you like about it. Uh, Alyssa, you, you heard uh, about uh, adaptability. Obviously, as I've, I've, since my TED Talk six years ago, I've li- I've, I always talked about I've danced. Like you said, you love that entrepreneur. And when you go into change, you go into change big. Sometimes you just got to move on and they're hugely big decisions. But it takes courage. It, it, you, you are certainly vulnerable. Hey, I made a mistake or I made some decisions and they didn't work out the best and I need to move on. Um, and it fits into what I've been talking about, uh, for the, especially over the last three years, is growth mindset as being part of that. That's part of the adaptability. And I heard the reason I'm bringing that up now, other than I think you and I need to chat about this <laughs> to figure out uh, where we're headed with it. Um, but I heard this within a half hour before we went on the air in another session I was in. And it talked about, I mean, how do you help people get a bigger comfort zone? That's an interesting way to look about change because when we talk about change, people go, I don't want to change. Well, we all have to change a little bit. I mean, every day we walk up, we, no matter what we do, we need to adapt because the day, no day ends up exactly like we've got it planned out. Um, it, it could even be something's delayed or a call didn't come in or an interruption. So we all need to have some adaptability. It doesn't mean you have to, like you did, walk, walk away from a profession and invest in something or, or get a divorce. Uh, but it sometimes could be just something incremental. But each time we change, we need to have a bigger comfort zone. And that seems to be what the mentor is. It's just creating uh, a safer space to maybe instead of taking, I can do one step on my own, but I'm afraid to cross that line and take two or three steps. Uh, how do we do those two or three steps? So I, it just, again, it just clicked with me as, as we were talking here. It's a mentoring really is about how, is having a bigger comfort zone and how big do you want that? How, how big of a comfort zone do you need? Because not all of us are gonna take the risk that you and I take. Well, you know, I'll tell you one of the things that I, I guess my shtick or one of my one of the things that I'm known for when I do public speaking is I open up almost every session I present on with mindset of going into the presentation to say, look, I not all of you are going to jive with what I have to teach. Some of this is going to be old news for you. Some of this is going to be brand new. But going into things like this, you're here, you're investing the time. There's obviously something in this for you. And so mindset is a really important part of um learning a new skill or being open to information or being able to solve problems. So I use this analogy of lobsters and crabs. And this actually came from a Disrupt HR talk that I did a few years ago, where I talked about, especially in our workplaces, the different mindset of a lobster or a crab, you know, minded employee. And crabs, a lot of people have heard the analogy because it's been around for decades now of crabs in a bucket, where if you have a bunch of crabs in a bucket and they're all just kind of like crawling around each other, it's pretty harmonious as long as they're all in the bucket. But as soon as one of them gets one of their gnarly little claws up the side and starts to crawl out of the bucket, all of the other crabs instinctively from a place of survival actually will pull that crab back down because for them it's a safety and numbers things. They're just they do it intuitively. It's not like they're trying to like destroy or kill the other crab. It's just, Hey, if you can't, if I can't have that, neither can you. So get back down here with the rest of us. Um, And I think that that happens a lot of times for people with fixed mindset, right? Like you said, we don't want to change. We want 
things around us to change, but we don't want to have to look internally for that discomfort of how do we uh, make, you know, how can we take control over that and change ourselves? So the lobster mentality, on the other hand, um, I had to do all this research about seafood and crustaceans. I don't even really like lobster or crab that much, Um, but lobsters have uh, immortality in their DNA. So they're not immortal, obviously, they die from predators and, you know, eventually their lifespans will go out. But where we as humans, eventually we get to a certain stage of life and our cells start to deteriorate. Lobsters don't. They just continue to grow and flourish and they don't ever, their cells never degenerate like ours do. So what happens is when they're really young, obviously they go through these molt cycles that are very close together because their growth, the the way that they grow is much more, more, um, close together. But what happens is they have to like push up against their shell. Anything with an exoskeleton has to shed their exterior shell in order to grow a new one that's a little bit bigger. And then it takes some time to harden. Um, But with lobsters, they also go through that period of vulnerability after they have that molt cycle. So yes, they have a bigger shell, comfort zone, but it takes some time for that to harden for them to be less susceptible to predators or, you know, um, just things that could, could damage them or hurt them. Well, just like with mindset, if we're going into things and we're just starting to push up against the discomfort of that exterior shell, we have to feel that in order to grow. Otherwise, we're just going to stay the same size and we'll never get any bigger. So I think that in looking at terms of mindset of how you approach problems or uh, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, you know, I mentioned I'm going through a divorce and that means I'm having to learn a lot of things that I haven't had to do in my life, like mow my lawn. <laughs> so I have never had to mow a lawn in my entire life. And uh, now that I own my own house, I have this cute little yard and I even have a lawnmower. But I waited for six weeks until my grass got to the point that I was getting notices on my door from the city that if I didn't mow it, I was going to get a citation to finally go out to my garage and my, you know, where there's like bugs and cockroaches and spiders and stuff that creep me out and pull out my lawnmower and figure out how to put gas in it and how to turn it on and how I empty the bag. I didn't know any of that. And that's why I was avoiding it for six weeks because I knew that I didn't know it and I didn't want to have to deal with it. And there was kind of an emotional factor to it too, right? Of like, it was just this, I don't know, it was a little bit of a um, tongue in cheek this is my life in a nutshell, right? <laughs> mow my own lawn. But here was, this is what was really cool about it. Um, I had my son come out and start deadheading dandelions as a distraction for me. Cause I'm like, if I can delegate, give him some direction on, give him a task to keep him busy. He's not going to see my discomfort, right? Cause I don't want him to see his mom in that situation. So he's out there deadheading all these dandelions and we're listening to music and I get the lawnmower out there. And thankfully there's pictures galore on this lawnmower to tell me what to do. Cause I did not want to figure it out. So, you know, a couple, couple pulls of the cord, I had gas in it. It kicks right up, and uh, thankfully, it's one of those like it's the power kind where it's got the little you push down on it, and then it mows for you, so you don't have to push it as hard. Power steering for lawnmowers, um, and I got my first. So I, I did my first little patch of lawn, and I got to the end, and I turned it off, and I sat down, and I just started bawling. I was like crying hysterically on my lawn. This one little patch, and my son comes over, and he wants to know what's going on and if I'm okay. And I'm like, yeah, of course I am. I'm just so excited that, you know, I like know how to mow my lawn. And it was this moment of change, but also growth for me that um, 
I knew in that moment, like it was so silly that I avoid, avoided it for so long. And I knew that the reason I was avoiding it wasn't because it was hard or I couldn't do it or I wasn't capable. It was because it was change and it was difficult and I didn't want to make a mistake and I didn't want to have to know what I didn't know. So once I got that one patch done, oh, my lawn looked terrible, by the way. Like by the time it was done, it looked awful. Like it was the hack job of, yep. <laughs> you know, you don't want to go get a haircut from somebody that has a bad haircut. It was terrible. It was mowed and it was done and the city stopped giving me grief. And now I love mowing my lawn. I love it. Like I look forward every week to pulling it out. And even if it doesn't have to be mowed, I'll just adjust the, you know, because I know this now because I Googled it, but I can adjust the height on how much grass I want to cut for my lawnmower. And I just like the look of it. I like the smell of it. I like the experience and putting on my headphones and being out there with my son. And that total shift in mindset because I grew an exoskeleton that's now a little bit bigger. Um, I know something that I didn't know before. I have a confidence in being able to achieve something that I avoided for so long because I didn't know. And that's a small scale example. But I think when you're asking, like, how do you make how do you make your comfort zone bigger? You just have to lean in and just do it and be OK, knowing that it's not going to be perfect. You're probably going to make mistakes and there's going to be things that you figure out along the way. But you're going to get to the other side, you know, and I think that that, at least for me, has been uh, very character building over the last six or seven years of, of my life and my career as I've tried to approach those things with more intent of, man, whatever happens, happens. Like life is about an experience. And if I just want to sit on my lawn and or sit on my couch and not mow my lawn, I'm missing out on opportunities and I'm building stress within myself that is unnecessary. So trying to unburden by addressing discomfort has been life-changing for me get a bigger comfort zone <laughs> and uh, we're, Throw that yeah, shell. <laughs> we're, we're both here at what, what a great analogy i appreciate that elisa it goes so fast it really goes so fast we, we literally just have one or two minutes left we like to close with a couple things we'll give you a minute just how people can get in touch with you uh, and so forth uh, but we, we each week we like to close with the lightning round to find something about more about Alyssa, make you're a human being. We know a lot about your business and we know about your, your son uh, and some of those things. A couple quick questions. So uh, going back, if, if you went back to a reunion where we had a chance to meet your classmates, uh, would they be surprised at what, you, at what you're doing now? Well, oddly enough, my 20 year reunion is just a couple of weeks away and I'm on the fence if I want to go back. But I... I would say yes. I've actually heard from several of my classmates, you know, mm -hmm. reconnecting over LinkedIn and seeing where they've ended up in their careers. Um, yes, I was I was a very painfully shy student. I did not have a collection of friends. I definitely did not have boyfriends. Um, I, I was at a very different stage of life in high school. That is so interesting, only because <laughs> I think every single guest, and we do this at least once a week, every single guest that says, that if you ask my classmates, they would be surprised because they thought I was shy, I was introverted, I didn't have a lot of friends, I wasn't very active. And everybody now is so outspoken and they're leaders and they're CEOs and, and it's it's crazy. That's because you talk to lobsters, Ira, that's yeah, why. We, we, must be, <laughs> we must be talking to lobsters and we must be talking to a lot of introverts who, who have trans come out of the, got a bigger comfort zone. You have a, a favorite book and it doesn't have to be recent, but a favorite book? happen to have it right here. I know you have a podcast version. 
but this is one of the original. This is a second edition, How to Win Friends and Influence People yeah. by Dale Every Carnegie, part. which actually has his signature right oh. there. Fancy, fancy. Um, this was a life-changing book for me early in my career. I read it when I was 20 as a was required reading at a job that I had. And as an introvert, I did not know really how to connect with people. I didn't understand, definitely didn't understand how to sell to anyone. And this book was very plain language of how to just treat others with respect and how to be authentic and how to get what you want, but not at the expense of other people. So this was a really, really big one for me and actually was a gift from um, one of my past bosses because we'd had this whole conversation about books that changed our lives. And so this was an anniversary gift for me on my five years with that organization that he went out and changed. Found. That book has changed an amazing number of people's lives. So when I was 20, here's what I was reading. Future Shock. Future Shock. Al Alvin Toffler, 50th anniversary of that. I don't have a signature. It's the original book. You, you'll be in Future Shock is where we are now. It, it's basically a psychological and emotional uh, stress point where everybody's just overstressed and disoriented from the fast pace of technological change. So predicted mm -hmm. 52 years ago by Alvin Toffler. Uh, we, were, we were moving to that state, and it wasn't that we didn't need technology. It was that we had to think about the impact that, that a rapid rate of change would have, accelerating change. I probably can almost guess this, but what's your word of the year? My word of the year? Oh, my gosh. Well, I would say change, but I feel like uh, I, I, that's just the first part of the year. I'm going to say my word of the year is, um, I'm going to say it's growth. How's Good. That? Actually, I thought, you were, I thought it was going to just fall off your tongue and say mentoring. <laughs> I know, but I can't be one dimensional yeah. here. I have to have more interests than just my business, yeah. right? Absolutely. <laughs> Best way, I'm going to put this up here because I think I know that already. Um, Level Next is your company, levelnext.com. Please go up and look at that and reach out. Uh, and if they want to reach out to you, is this correct? Alyssa at levelnext.com. What's E-L-I-S-A at levelnext.com, but also LinkedIn is my love language. So if you want to connect with me or message me there, uh, it's you're probably more likely to get a quick response than if you email me. Alyssa, it's been <laughs> it's been fun. It's been a pleasure. It's great to see you. Congratulations. Uh, good luck. So. Well, thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Again, I want to thank uh, all our listeners, uh, all our members of Googleization Nation. Uh, special thanks to Alyssa Garn for uh, taking some time out of her super busy schedule with the launch of Level Next this week. Uh, please reach out to her. As she said, uh, you can look up Alyssa Garn on LinkedIn. I'm sure she'll connect. Tell her that you uh, were that you heard her on the show and appreciate that. Thanks uh, to everyone again who is listening. Uh, please remember to go up online, up to your favorite podcast once this is available, and uh, leave a review. Subscribe to Geek Skeezers Googleization. Uh, subscribe to become a member of GoogleizationNation.com. And uh, next week, Jason will be back. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans.